you know, in our belief system, you know, it's all based on six gates of law, which we believe everything has life and everything is connected. There's an opportunity to also teach each other and learn from each other. How can we use that to not only heal, manage and, you know, protect the land uh, for future generations, but also to understand each other. Welcome to Nations Under the Big Sky podcast, a podcast where we talk about issues relating to the land, the people, the cultures, and issues that impact life under the big sky. My name is Monty Pavatia Gillum. I am a co-host along with Christopher Carter. I'm the other co-host for your podcast here. And uh, today we have a really exciting episode. We are kicking off our podcast series with a group of leaders to talk about stewarding the land. And many of us who call the big sky home really are connected to the land. And we have a fantastic lineup of guests today. Jack Royal from Blackfoot Confederacy, Leah Whitford coming to us from Blackfeet Country, and uh, Monty Mills from the University of Montana Law School. So I wanted to quickly turn it over to a round of intros. Jack, can you kick us off? And then we'll go to Leah and Monty. Sure. Thank you. Uh, okay. Mr. Wanda is so Good afternoon. My name is Jack Royal. I'm from uh, part of the Blackfoot Confederacy. I'm from the Siksika Nation on the uh, on the Canadian side of the border. Um, uh, as you'll come to understand, if you don't already, we're all connected here. The Amskapi uh, Pikani or the Blackfeet. Uh, Monty is actually. Uh, my cousin, I don't know if I should be mentioning that, but uh, we're all family here. We're also comprised of the Blood Organe tribe and the Bigani, Apatis Bigani, that's the Bigani on the Canadian side, the Sikska and Amskapi Bigani, four tribes. We all speak the same language. We have the same, uh, I guess, societies, culture, etc., cetera, uh, land base. Currently, I'm the uh, CEO for the Blackfoot Confederacy Tribal Council. I was uh, formerly the uh, founding president and general manager for the Blackfoot Crossing Historical Park, um, where we signed our treaty on, on this side with the, the Crown and the Right of Canada. And also, uh, I was also the CEO for the uh, Six Guy Nation, head of all of the administration. Amongst other things, I was also the, the lands manager for our tribe. So uh, nice to be here and looking forward to the discussion. Good evening, everybody. Um... My name is Leah Whitford. My Indian name is Mesaki, which means Crow Woman. And that was given to me by elders quite a few years ago. And it's in reference to the crow that's in our medicine bundle. And so um, there's an entire story behind it, but I won't go into that this evening. Um, what I've been doing is currently I'm working with Browning Public Schools as the instructional coach for all of the districts in implementing uh, Indian Ed for All and also our Blackfeet Native American Studies um, program. So I help teachers if they need help with getting things ready for their, um, for their classes. I've served as a senator in the past for the state of Montana uh, in Senate District 8. And prior to that, I was a representative for House District 16. So I've been involved in the, in the political realm for a little bit. And then I also worked for the tribe as a planner. Um, and 
more so on the on the personal side is I've been working on just land protection of our um, historical territory throughout Montana and Canada. Um, I've been involved in a number of different um, initiatives and one of the more important ones for me was the budgetary medicine and the protection of that particular area. Um, so I'm just excited to be here and, and be a part of the group discussion. Hi everybody, I'm Monty Mills. I'm a professor here at the Alexander Blewett III School of Law at the University of Montana. And I also have the privilege of directing the Marjorie Hunter Brown Indian Law Clinic, which is actually the nation's oldest Indian law clinic at any law school in the country. Um, I teach a variety of courses here uh, from federal Indian law to American Indian natural resources, all related to the relationships between the three sovereigns in our nation, the federal government, state governments, and the 574 federally recognized Indian tribes. Um, recently, I've been working a lot on issues related to tribal management or co-management of natural resources beyond tribal boundaries. And this summer, uh, co-authored a report called Bridges to a New Era, which is a report about tribal co-management, both its past, present, and future of federal public lands. Uh, before I came to law school here in Montana in 2015, I served as a director of the legal department for the Southern Ute Indian tribe down in southwestern Colorado. Um, and I was there for about uh, 12 years in that capacity, uh, handling all kinds of legal issues, a lot of which are related to natural resources. So I'm thrilled and honored to be here and look forward to our discussion. Great. Thank you. And welcome, everyone. We'll get started on um, a few of the topics that we have selected for the podcast this evening. Let's start with what are traditional indigenous territories and where is the historic extent of the Blackfoot traditional territory? Yeah, sure. Thank you, uh, Monty. Um, let me first start off by saying um, traditional is uh, a European term. You know, I think the way that we think in our ways, in our Blackfoot ways, um, we don't have terms such as traditional. We've always been in this territory. Uh, we've never left. Uh, we still use it. We still live here and we still harvest uh, all of what Mother Earth gives us. So it's not gone. It's not uh, shelved. Um, therefore, it's not traditional. It's, we're currently using it. So, you know, the, the way that we think about it is, is our territory. And so uh, traditional is a foreign term that was used on our lands to describe um, the area that we uh, encompass. So with that, that area that we encompass, which we have in the past and, and to some extent still do in the future where we go for our, our ceremonies, our rituals, our, our songs, our, our practices, our medicines, is a vast area encompasses a lot of the southern half of southern Alberta on the Canadian side, arguably all of Alberta, up to BC, up to the Rocky Mountains, into British Columbia, uh, into Saskatchewan, to the North Saskatchewan River, and what we call the Sand Hills, or the Great Sand Hills. And to the south, we've heard what, what was commonly used was Yellowstone uh, Park area, However, there's been evidence uh, through the Blackfeet tribe, through one of their archaeologists right down to, uh, that there's evidence of us inhabiting right down to Blackfeet, Idaho, and, and, and beyond. 
And so, um, you know, to the north, to the south, to the west of the Rocky Mountains, to the east, again, into uh, on our side, the province of Saskatchewan. That is a tremendous landscape to, to call home. Uh, what role, you know, does the Blackfoot Confederacy play bringing, bringing nations together? And I think for a lot who may be listening to our podcast, they may be still learning about what the Blackfoot Confederacy is and um, how it predates, you know, the, the creation of the U.S. and Canada. So tell us a little bit about how does the Blackfoot Confederacy play a role in this landscape today and what should we understand about it? We've been here uh, since time of creation and uh, we've inhabited this area and we've never left. And we were separated by what some people call in our, in our Blackfoot Confederacy, the medicine line. It was a line that was created by foreigners, I guess, uh, that separated us legally in their systems. However, we've never been separated. We're all connected and we still to this day are, are continue to be connected. And we're, we're re-establishing those connections, building those um, connections even stronger. So again, the, the blood tribe, Gaina, uh, is one. Siksaga uh, is the other where I'm from. Uh, which just means Blackfoot in our language. Bikani, Amskapi, Bikani were one tribe and they were separated. You have the Southern Bikani, which is the Blackfeet tribe, and the Northern Bikani, or Amskapi Bikani, and Abakas Bikani on, on the Canadian side. And so again, we, we all have the same societies. We all have the same values, beliefs, cultures, tra traditions, language, uh, rituals, uh, and all these spiritual and other way, other connections that uh, that bind us. And so we've inhabited the territory that I mentioned. And I always tell people that uh, I can look in any direction and I can tell you a story and give you a, a purpose or a, or a ritual or, or, or a ceremony that's connected to those to those uh, to these areas, landmarks uh, throughout the territory. So I think. Jack did a really good job of describing our territory. One of the areas that we um, have occupied and used in, in the state is the confluence of the Yellowstone and the Missouri River. And one of our first encounters with um, non-Native people in that particular area was around the Fort Union area. And in particular, my family um, on my Gardapi side, which is my maiden name, um, there is uh, stories that, you know, we can go in and look at that were recorded down there. And uh, on my family's other side, um, they worked at one time for the trading company. So one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that um, we've had such a long connection to this place, um, our place, that it goes beyond anything that's written. And when it comes time for us to determine how long we've been here, Jack is spot on. We go to our stories, our origin stories, um, places us here. It doesn't place us anywhere else. And when I talk to people, I tell them, you know, if you want to know about Blackfoot, then study our stories because that tells you place, that tells you time. And, um, you know, and those have been... Um, that's a part of our ancestral knowledge. So I wanted to to bring that into how we how you all do the work that you do today. What does that mean in the educational environment, the legal environment, you know, the way that 
people are working in in uh, today. So how do you how does that inform the work that you do in in your field? For me, because I'm an educator, and that's been my calling for you know a number of years. When I first started teaching Blackfeet studies, Blackfeet history, way back in the '90s, I was I had the privilege of going to elders and talking to them. But I also um, went to our tribal attorney and I asked that tribal attorney to help me interpret, you know, the um, treaties and the laws so that I understood it from a tribal perspective and from a, a tribal attorney and the interpretation of that particular type of law. So that in, it, in itself was a real good teaching in the sense that, you know, I don't, I didn't go to university to, to learn about our treaties and our agreements. I went to the people in my community to learn what they thought these meant. And for me, that was a good um, foundation so that when I went forward in my you know, through the years and through education and through, you know, just serving on different, uh, in different capacities with different organizations, then I had a better understanding of, of what these types of laws meant to us. As an educator today, I still push for our schools and, in, and I'm in that position to be able to do that, to push our schools to teach our children and the future generations about their tribal histories, and especially how it can impact them in a way of knowing what your tribal uh, treaties are and how that has an impact on today. It's helped me define who I am as a, uh, as a Kani, Kaniaski Pagan woman. Ongoing, we don't, we don't quit just because we graduate and get a degree here or there or whatever. Um, we are going to be impactful for the rest of our years because of the knowledge that we've gained and i think that's a pretty important task i can talk a little bit about the the education of lawyers and the role that those stories play here at the law school i think i mean for me you can't understand the american legal system without understanding the role that it's played in both removing or attempting to remove those stories from the landscape and marginalizing the role of indigenous people in the law. And I think that's unfortunately a story that most Americans don't learn and don't understand. And particularly in the context of understanding the legal system, it's not a story that's taught. And from its very beginning, really, the American legal system was premised on the idea that Indigenous people would either be removed or not be in the way or not be on the landscape. And that misconception has really served to inform the laws and policies of the United States when it comes to engaging and, and particularly natural resource management, where, you know, as Jack said earlier, there are stories connected to all of these landscapes since time immemorial, and yet very rarely, if at all, does federal or state law recognize a place for those stories in the way that those resources are managed. And I find it, in my experience, even teaching folks in law school who are preparing to become lawyers and work within this system, it is often the case that 
they don't know the history of their place. Um, even here in Montana, where you know there are commitments to educate about Indian education for all, oftentimes students will make it all the way to my federal Indian class before they know the role of treaties and removal and the stories of these places that have been so central to their existence here in the state. And so the way that's impacted me in terms of my work here at the law school is working to, I, I am not a, a native person myself. I don't bring that perspective and I can't speak on behalf of that perspective. However, if my students are going to become lawyers within a system that has been premised from the very beginning on certain understandings or misunderstandings about the way it works, then they need to understand the role that that system has played throughout. And to me, that begins with, as, as Jack started us off, the story of this place and the real connections and continuing connections of the people who have been here the longest. So I think that's a, that's a very can sometimes be very challenging, especially for folks in law school who, you know, have a certain idea about our legal system and our federal government in particular. But in my view, you cannot be a responsible legal professional without understanding the legal system from that perspective. You know, I do see that it's not in mainstream curriculum. The things that we're talking about, you can't learn in a book. You can't learn in a classroom. It's not readily available. Uh, you, you can only learn it by getting to know the people, getting to know the community, getting out there, creating that understanding. And then with that, learning uh, our, our ways, our values, our belief systems, all of the systems that we have on how we've governed ourselves, you know, through our language, through our terms, the curriculum and the laws were based on foreign concepts. Uh, that were foreign to the Siksigates Dabi. And that's that's how we that's what we call ourselves, the Blackfoot people. Siksigates Dabi. And a good example is in these treaties uh, on both sides of the, the medicine line was uh, terminology that was foreign to us. We never had words for seed or deed or lease or sell or any of that any of that type, not even for money. Those these were all foreign concepts to us. Uh, our value and belief system is fundamentally different from that belief system. We believe in in in, in six gates that your law, for lack of a better term, or natural law, that you know everything has a purpose, everything's connected, everything has life. There's no such thing as uh, coincidence, you know, and all of these other concepts and Mother Earth and Father Son, and as a result. We, we couldn't sell it, we couldn't lease it, we couldn't deed it, yet we supposedly agreed to these things. On the Canadian side, the Canadian legal system is based on parliamentary supremacy, and it's, it's part of the British Crown, um, which the U.S. fought uh, for their independence. However, the British managed to stay, uh, with our help to some extent, on the eastern side uh, as, a, as, a, as a British colony, uh, as one of seven around the world. And this parliamentary supremacy system uh, is based on the premise that the king or the queen was given the power to rule by God. So we still follow, you know, to that extent, our parliamentary and legal system. And, you know, we still follow common law on both sides, which is the basis of this system. You may not recognize the queen on your, 
on your money or anything. However, it's based on that parliamentary uh, system, which again was a foreign system to us. Again, our law uh, was more based on natural law or Blackfoot law, six gates law, six gates is how we say it in our language. So these were these were systems that uh, we don't hear about. And again, you can't learn in a in a classroom. You can't learn out of a book. You can't just go pay somebody to to teach you. It comes with our oral tradition. It comes with our, our language. It comes from where you are and who you are. Uh, and so the good thing that I'm happy about with this discussion is that we need to start talking about these things. We need to start knowing, hey, we weren't just nomadic people running around, you know, hunting buffalo and fishing. It was, there was a purpose for everything. There was a reason for everything and everything was connected. To follow up on that. And I think, you know, a part of what our responsibility is um, in the educational system is to talk about exactly what we're discussing today. Um, I've looked at some of the curriculum things that our um, Office of Public Instruction has, and I'd have to say at least they have things there that are talking about sovereignty and sovereign rights. We need to be doing a much better job in teaching our children about federal Indian law and policy. I went to rural District 41 here in Southern Montana and um, to say that we learned anything about tribal nations would be a massive overstatement. In the 90s, this was before that decision uh, in the, at the state to make that mandatory for all Montana kids. And it wasn't until I was in British Columbia studying um, that I even heard about some of the atrocities um, in, in the early days in treaty making, in residential schools, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. As a Montanan, I was, I was blown away by how much I, I missed as a school kid. And the implications of that are pretty wide reaching. And I know I'm not alone. And I know a lot of my fellow Montanans never got that. And I wanted to talk about the opportunity of like a proper education here and what the opportunity is about understanding that, you know, those, those, the connection to the land, the stewardship, the, the history, the legal, like what's the opportunity here? You know, if we're talking about the land, there's an, an opportunity to not only heal the land, but to preserve the land, maintain the land, manage the land with a better understanding with this global understanding from the original people to what it is to the people that inhabit it today. And because of our belief system and the systems that we have in place and how we didn't expropriate it and manipulate it. And I think there's things to learn within that, that we can teach, you know, in our belief system, you know, it's all based on six gates that law, which we believe everything has life and everything is connected and so on, as I mentioned. And so I think there's an opportunity to also teach each other and learn from each other on, on how can we use that to not only heal, manage, and you know protect the land uh, for future generations, but also to understand each other. There was a lot of misunderstanding, and and the downfall uh, of the education system in the past, not now. Because I'm glad that you know we would never would have had this discussion probably even 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. You know, so I'm I'm very happy that we're having these that these discussions and this dialogue now, because we wouldn't have in the past, but one of the downfalls is we never learned about it in school. We never, I never learned about it. 
I learned about the industrial revolution. I learned about, uh, you know, how things were in social, in other countries, socially and socialism and all this other stuff. But I never learned about the history of the area that we're in. And I went to school on and off the reservation all my life and including university. And it wasn't until I got to university where I heard there's a little bit of a, uh, indigenous studies you could take that will that will kind of highlight, but it's an option. It's not mandatory. You would never hear about the atrocities of what you're talking about with residential school and so on. So the other thing is not only the atrocities, but some of the good things, you know, that, that happened on both sides, but also on how we practiced uh, the land and, and the environment and how we maintained it and managed it. So I think there's opportunities not only to improve how we treat the land and how we protect it and maintain it, but also how we work together and how we create that understanding. It starts with uh, you know awareness, education, understanding, and then ownership. And we all have a part to play in, in, in the tools to move forward. And I think that's where we need, we're trying to work towards or move towards hopefully with reconciliation. The United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples have been adopted around the world. Uh, Canada and the US are still fighting it. You referred to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. You know, it's been studied and, and probably billions of dollars at this point that have been uh, spent on, on how we can improve the situation where there's been recommendations being given that have fell on deaf ears. Uh, back in the day, it was the uh, Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples where they spent in Canada alone $500 million in five years going around the country talking to Indigenous people on what's going on and how can we fix it. Out of that came recommendations. It was called gathering strength. I told the governments that if we don't start investing in these things now and create that awareness understanding that it's only going to be uh, that much more expensive as we move forward to deal with the the, the issues that are arising out of those uh, situations on how we've developed since uh, European arrival. So I think there's opportunities there to, you know, not only for the land, but for the people and for relations, you know. So there's a lot of misunderstanding, you know, and a lot of it is just because we don't hear about it. And I'm glad that, again, today we're in a position to talk about it and hopefully, you know, people will learn from it on both sides. When folks like here in Montana or really across the West, where there's at least more of an awareness of the presence of tribes and indigenous people, even there, there's still this sort of separation between what goes on on the reservation or an in Indian country and the rest of the region. Um, and I think particularly in recent years as tribes themselves and their own leaders and voices have been asserting claims based on treaties or sovereignty in ways that really hasn't happened, at least since the arrival of, of Europeans. There's a, there's a growing consciousness and awareness. I mean, four years ago, the tribal folks at Standing Rock were on the front page of the New York Times talking about their treaty rights and their sovereign claims to that territory. So that's an opportunity. None of those conflicts, none of those battles are new. I mean, that's the same fundamental struggle that's been going on since the arrival of folks to the quote unquote new world. 
but to have tribal voices telling those stories to a broader audience, I think creates a, a, a really incredible opportunity, not just for tribal communities, especially in the context of natural resource management and thinking about the benefit to all of us. It is for all of us, given the connections that Jack has, has talked about as a lawyer and someone in the legal system and profession, there's a lot of reckoning that needs to be done with the separation between our ideals as a legal system and the way those ideals have functioned. This is also an opportunity, particularly in our current climate, for thinking about what that reckoning means. And, you know, truth and reconciliation is a part of that reckoning, but it's not the whole thing. And there needs to be a much more substantive understanding about what we mean when we say we the people. If not now, I'm not sure when it is, but there has to be an opportunity to to rethink the way that the laws work, particularly when it comes to recognizing tribal sovereignty. Guarantees that have been made on behalf of all of us, on behalf of the United States and also Canada to indigenous people. hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did for more information links and notes check out the show notes where some of our guests and our team has provided some more resources for you and thanks for tuning in you can find us for our next episode here soon if you enjoy the podcast we really appreciate you spreading the word until next time stay safe keep well and we will catch you real soon